This is the Action Network Podcast. And this one is good. All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Action Network podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Anderson, here as always with Raheem Palmer. We're back after missing our Friday episode, celebrating a little Thanksgiving, eating some food, enjoying some football. Week 12 action is here. Revenge of the home teams today. The season has been dominated on the road. Home teams 8-3 and three today, 8-3 and three straight up and against the spread, 4-0 in some big division games. Also, I think only our second winning week of the season for favorites. Not a winning week for me, Raheem. I got demolished today. Please tell me you did better than I did. Well, my, my contest picks went 3-2, and two, and I didn't have too many big plays today. I, I didn't go. I didn't spray the board. I know I had the, the over in the Bucks coast game. I can't complain about a three and two week, but I really wish I had another four and one week. We went four and one, four straight weeks. Was hoping for another one that would have got us into the money, but we're just outside of the money in the contest. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, three and two will keep you hanging around. I'm not in the contest, but I would have gone zero and five, I think, if I was this week. So that's the sort of week it's been. Weird, weird NFL season. Right now, at this very moment, there are 12 AFC teams at 500 or better. We're on, we're heading to week 13. There are 12 out of the 16, 500 or better. And then in the, in the NFC, the Vikings are still the seven seed, even after a loss at five and six, there's eight NFC teams within one game of the playoffs. The lions are Oh, 10 and a one and mathematically alive for the playoffs in the NFC. Nobody is good. Everybody is bad. Everyone is kind of good. I don't know what's happening. We're going to get into all that. We'll talk about the games today. We'll do Monday Night Football preview and our Week 13 hot read. Of course, as always, odds are from BetMGM, the official odds provider of the Action Network podcast. Let's start out at the top with uh, really the one great game of the day between Tampa Bay and Indianapolis. Finished out box 38-31. Back and forth, close throughout. Bucks did get the cover, and this one went way over. What was your biggest takeaway from the Bucks victory today? My biggest takeaway is that the Colts, they really abandoned the run. And, I mean, I didn't think that they were going to be able to run the ball on this Buccaneers defense, which has been probably the best in the league for the last three seasons. But Jonathan Teller went out there, 16 carries, 83 yards, one touchdown, and he got the job done. He was able to do what he needed to do in order to help this team be successful. He had a 50% success rate. He generated a a first down on 38% of his carries. And yet, you know, the Colts go up 24-14 and it just felt like, where, where is the runs coming from? And I, I just didn't, that was a little, that was a little bothersome. They dropped back this past 27 straight times. And, you know, you had Carson Wentz turning the ball over and that'll kill you. And you can't have two turnovers against Tom Brady and expect to survive. So what's your takeaway? Yeah, Jonathan Taylor, even the yards he did get came mostly late. Like it really felt like they didn't get it going until pretty late in the game. Leonard Fournette, four touchdowns, 100 rushing yards. I think that means he's the MVP favorite now. Is that how this works? <laughs> Jonathan Taylor had to give over his MVP trophy and now Fournette is the MVP. And now both lines, I think, did a pretty nice job here. Although at one point I literally made a note about how the Colts O-line was dominating, especially pass blocking. And the very next play, Eric Fisher gets beat on a strip sack for Carson Wentz. So uh, I wore my Carson Wentz jersey today in North Dakota State represent. They took the loss. I thought Wentz was pretty good. I think Carson Wentz in one week just outplayed Josh Allen and then Tom Brady head to head. That's the two MVP favorites still. Wentz had 300 yards and three touchdowns. He did have three turnovers, but were the turnovers like really badly his fault? The strip sack, that's the offensive line letting him get to him. Like Shaq was on him in a second. Uh, interception, one was basically on the last play of the game, just throwing it up, Hail Mary. 
And the other one was just an awesome, awesome play by Antoine Winfield Jr., which, you know, that still counts, but give, give some respect for great plays. And that one was pretty good. Brady was not very good. And my Brady MVP bets, we've talked about it a lot. I'm, I'm getting a little worried. Like the only good thing that happened for Tom Brady's MVP candidacy today was that the Bucs got the win. And we know that that matters. But Tampa Bay does not look like themselves. This just, this felt like a wildcard weekend playoff game between two teams that probably shouldn't go much further than that. You know what I mean? Like it, it was fun. It was a good game between two definitely good teams. I don't know if I still believe the Bucs are a great team. What do you think about that? I think there's been a, a, a dichotomy between the Bucs on the road and at home this season. And on the road, they really have struggled. I mean, when you have losses to the Saints, Washington on the road, they lost to the Rams on the road. They played the Patriots tough on the road. Whereas you look at their home games against the Cowboys, the Falcons, the Bears, the, the Giants. They're just a different team at home. And I, I don't like, I can't describe it. It's odd for a Tom Brady team. You know, they had some injuries too. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, the injuries, I mean, they just, they just can't get healthy. Uh, Devin White got the injury. Another offensive lineman went out. Jamel Dean, who just, I think, had come back out again. This team just can't get healthy. And, you know, we said coming into the season, uh, any team, that's the one thing that can really derail things is injuries and especially injuries at cornerback or on the offensive line. And that's where this team, especially at corner, continues to take hits. So, you know, credit to the Bucs for winning this game. They haven't been winning these games. Discredit to the Colts, I guess. They have been losing these games. Like Indianapolis went down 10 and, you know, they're not quite my Vikings, but they sure seem to blow these sort of leads. So that definitely looked like a danger zone spot for them. Um, I am a little worried about Tampa's defense, though. I know that they're missing guys, but it just felt like they really couldn't consistently get off the field. And the Colts are good. Like, they're fine, but they're not really worrying me. And it's not even the run game. It's Carson Wentz beating you. And my guy, Carson Wentz, shouldn't be beating your Super Bowl defense. You know, like, I know they're not healthy, but... I don't know if I trust this defense to get off the field. You got to get off the field against the Colts, don't you? I think you're underselling the Colts a little bit, but I, I also think, I mean, the injuries at some point, you got to have your guys out there, especially at corner. And the Colts are probably the best team in the league at throwing the ball up there and <laughs> just getting a pass to the fairness Aaron's penalty. And we, we see it every week with them. They're not an easy team to stop. And that's why I like, I think I liked the over, I gave out the over last week. And this was this was primed to be a, a shootout. And I think as long as you got Tom Brady on the other end, you got a shot. <laughs> like yeah. this is this is this is a, this is a offensive league now. So you're gonna have to win some shootouts. And it appears that they're capable of winning them. So I, I they're eight and three. Like I think we're kind of nitpicking at some point. Yeah, we we definitely are nitpicking, but you know, the Colts had every chance to win this game, even though they had five turnovers. So you, you don't get too many games against Tom Brady with all that talent that looked like it was finally starting to get healthy into this game, have five turnovers and still go up big early and still have a chance to win. So it, it is nitpicking. What matters most is that they got the win because like you said, they're so much better at home. So you got to get the win. They're basically locked up on the division for the most part but they're only a game back still on the, on the one seed. And they need that because that's a week off to get their guys healthy. That would be huge. And then you get the home games all the way throughout. Even the two seed is a pretty big win, even if it's Arizona ahead of them, because maybe you have to go to Arizona for one game in the playoffs, but Arizona may not make it there anyways. So just getting the win, I think, is the takeaway for Tampa. Indianapolis is a pretty good six and six team. They're not going anywhere, but it's a tough road in the AFC. Um, yeah, let's go with another AFC one. Titans Patriots. That one. So the Titans come in as I think tied for the one seed. Despite that, it closed as a full touchdown underdog minus seven for New England. Didn't matter. New England crushed the Titans 36 to 13. Easy cover, easy over on that one. What did you make of the Patriots blowout here? Is this just what we've been waiting for from the Titans all season? Yeah, it's definitely what we've been waiting for from the Titans all season. I mean, obviously the turnover issues continue to play, play the Titans right now. And they've had four turnovers in back-to-back -back games. 
you can't win like that. And I think the, the, the bottom line is the Titans are they're running out of playmakers. Like when you have AJ Brown out yeah. and Julio Jones and Derrick Henry, like the whole yeah, gallery is out. Nobody playing. Yeah. It's like at some point you got to have those playmakers, but at the same time, I think the most alarming thing about this game is that the Titans had 270 yards rushing and 6.9 yards per carry. And they still got blown out. So it's just like, what do you do under that, under those circumstances? And it comes back to the turnovers at the end of the day. The Patriots have been playing really good defense. But beyond that, Mac Jones is showing that he could actually, he's not just a game manager at this point. So I think the, the Patriots are kind of a, a force to be reckoned with. But the Titans, are they're a sinking ship. Yeah, I think that that may be overstating a little bit. I, I, to me, this game, the Patriots, they dominated, I guess. But it's, it's like a light domination. Like, I, I think that the scoreline really flattered New England here. Uh, the Patriots, you know, at halftime, it's 17-16. And it definitely felt like New England was relatively in control. But the Titans were coming up with plays. Like you said, they're running the ball. They kept ripping off these long runs, and you're not really expecting that. But the Patriots' defense is pass defense. The run defense is vulnerable. You know, I think New England's real lucky. Derrick Henry was not healthy in this game because if the random dudes that Tennessee has are ripping off big runs, what if King Henry is out there? But Titans had drives to the New England 26, 32, 46, 2, and 42-yard line that all ended with zero points because either they turned it over or they turned it over on downs. They missed a field goal. They missed an extra point hitting the crossbar. So there's a lot of closer chances here. And they kept going for it late too. New England really ran out the score late. So I don't know, like the scoreline looks like the score we've been waiting for for Tennessee, but I don't know that it actually was that bad or that good for New England. I think the Patriots might come away a little bit overrated from this game. What do you think? I mean, it's tough to say that because they did, they've won six in a row and all of their games have looked exactly like this one to a certain <laughs> yeah. extent. Yeah, like one and covered six games in a row. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the last three games, that was this game. He'll think you want teams to be just run the ball. So yeah. I think you got to give the Patriots some credit. Yeah, no, I think we give them credit, but it does feel a little bit like the Patriots right now in this moment are a little bit like the Titans were maybe a month ago. Like, it feels like we're, our, our overall opinion of them, the public opinion of them, maybe is a little more inflated than it should be. These are not the old Patriots. Mac Jones is not Tom Brady. Like, come That's on. That's true. But You're you know, you know what? I, I thought that coming into this game, and I thought, you know, with this line being six and a half, seven, like, you got to look at this line. This line opened two and a half, closed at seven, seven and a half, and the Patriots go out there and cover. They were plus one, plus one point one per play, plus four point eight yards per pass. It's it's like they dominated in all facets of the game. And you know, for me, I thought, okay, maybe the Patriots are being overvalued here, but it's clear that they're not. So it's just like I don't know no. if we're I don't know if we've reached the peak of their market value yet. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, hitting the Sunday afternoon games, Rams Packers. The big one that we were waiting for didn't quite live up to the billing, although Packers get the win 36-28. It was not close, not close like that score would lead you to indicate, not really close throughout. Packers ended up closing as home dogs, not something that happens there in Rodgers very often. I think he's 7-1-1 against the spread at home now as an underdog. So they get the cover and the money line plus 115 win. We hit the over here. So I saw you tweet about this. Did we just all overthink this? And this is just Aaron Rodgers and Matt Stafford. Yeah, I, I think that's that's really what it comes down to. And Aaron Rodgers has dominated Matthew Stafford throughout his entire career. But I think now you got Stafford playing through injuries, and I, I think a lot of the sharps thought that, you know, Stafford he has a couple of weeks to rest up, and that wasn't the case. He's just turning the ball over at will, and he's not even giving his his team a chance to win these games. It's kind of frustrating for me because I had the Rams. I think my big takeaway is the Packers could be in a a league where nobody's really great. Maybe the Packers are that team that can rise to the top. Yeah, and they're the team that is at some point in the near future going to get back Jair Alexander and Zadarius Smith and looks like David Bakhtiari any week now. 
and Aaron Jones is back. And, you know, they're also big, big win for Green Bay because they're on the bye week now. Now they get to rest. So now two weeks off and we're going to see some of these guys and they've been winning even without them. So yeah, Green Bay is in very good position. Uh, my takeaway from this game, this is one of those games that you can really tell who checked the box score and who watched the game. You check the box score and you're like, oh, it's a one score game. You know, just like we thought Rams Packers close all the way. Matthew Stafford, three touchdowns, 302 yards. You know, what a duel between Stafford and Rodgers. No, that's not the game that any of us watched. This was a blowout. Like the, the, the Packers dominated the entire first half. The only thing that kept it close was a bomb to Van Jefferson and a muff punt. 2017 at the half, even though the Packers are basically in control, 36-17 end of the third quarter. And then the Rams just get some garbage scores after that. Rams had 20 minutes of possession. They had three turn- turnovers. Stafford, by the way, 21 of 38. He had a pick six again. He had a strip sack on his own 12, which was pretty close to like a strip six. Is that a thing? He Hmm. was on late down passes, negative 0.94 EPA per play. Only one of eight passes successful. He was terrible. Like that's the numbers that you need to see. That's the Stafford that we saw today. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. 44% success rate generated first down of just 24% 24% of his plays. And like you said, he had a negative EPA. I just think this, this offense really lacks an identity right now. And of course, Odell Beckham had the bomb at the end of the game and Jefferson caught a, a, a couple of balls, but as a whole, this is a team that can't really run the ball. Stafford just hasn't been playing well. And, you know, I've read an inter- interesting stat, just Stafford McVay's offense throughout his entire career, weeks one through eight. He has a positive EPA per play, 0.11. Weeks 9 through 17, he has a, a zero EPA, which is 19 amongst all coaches. Wow. It's almost a yearly issue where you start to see this offense regress during the second half of the year. I think it's getting a lot more attention right now because you upgraded Jared Goff into Matthew Stafford, but it really hasn't, it hasn't done anything justice from what I've seen thus far. So... Yeah, I mean, obviously you had a couple more explosive plays, but this offense still doesn't look good. Yeah, that stat with McVeigh makes me think of like the Scooby-Doo meme and it's Sean McVeigh and he rips off his mask and it's actually Cliff Kingsbury underneath there. Like maybe that's the offensive gurus. The defenses need half a season and then start to figure some things out in the second half. It just isn't quite as good. I don't know. Maybe Cliff Kingsbury going to take his mask off and be Sean McVeigh this year. So this, yeah. this may have switched around. Rams have lost three in a row. Rams have failed to cover, I think, five in a row now. Their last win was Halloween against the Texans. Their last win with a team that has more than four wins right now was the Bucs in September. So since that game, here's here's the only four good teams they've played. Cardinals, 37-20, demolished. 28-16 against the Titans, not close. 31-10 against the Niners, demolished. 36-28 against the Packers, fake close. They allowed 20 or more in all those games. Cumulative score, 132 to 74 across the only four good teams that they've played in that span. So, yikes. It's I, I was on the Rams also. We both had them. It looked like a great spot out of the bye week and healthy against a Packers team that kind of was staggering into their bye. Not anymore. They're puffing their chest a little bit and feeling pretty good now. And, yeah, the Rams, it's a tough loss, too, because we've said all along, that division is tough, and it looks like the Rams are really struggling now to, to contend for the division. That drops them probably to the five seed. They're not going to miss the playoffs, but drop to the five seed. Now you not only don't get a home game, you're on the road against the Packers or the Cowboys, you know, or the Bucks. Like that's, that's your first round matchup. And well, we just saw how that went for Matt Stafford. So it, it's getting ugly for LA. You know, the, the interesting thing is that a big part of this handicap was that the Packers lost Elton Jenkins and David Bakhtiari was still out. They had one sack today. Like you had one sack and Aaron Rodgers is 28 of 45 with 307 yards and two touchdowns. So if you can't, if Von Miller and Aaron Donald can't put pressure on Aaron Rodgers when it matters, then I, I don't know what to say about this team. So I think the Rams are like, somebody tweeted out the Rams are in trouble. And I responded, you're not just in trouble today. Their season is in trouble. I mean, this is a team with Super Bowl aspirations, and I'm going to be honest with you, I, I just don't see it right now. So I don't even think there's a spot for you to buy low on this team because 
without Woods, I think they're 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 in deep shit. Yeah, it, it looks problematic. They they're gonna have to turn things around here in December. Uh, mm-hmm. One more team out of their division, the 49ers. Uh, my Vikings lose another heartbreaker to the 49ers. This is really even a heartbreak at this point. Like this is this is like our fifth most heartbreaking loss of the season. So 49ers 34-26. Niners hold on to get the cover. A lot of folks, including I think both of us on Minnesota in this one. The big problem here, pretty obvious going in. And I really I backed off my Minnesota love heading in. The Vikings literally were missing their entire defensive line, all four starters. And it looked like, uh-oh, the Niners have Trent Williams healthy. They have George Kittle healthy. Are they just going to run all over them? Uh, yeah, turns out yes is the answer to that. 39 runs, 208 yards, three touchdowns. And this controlled the clock. They controlled the game. So, of course, the Vikings are the Vikings. So they had their 10th one-score game of the season out of 11. They made, made a game of it. But I feel like the Niners were mostly in control here. Is this, is this what you expected once we saw those D-line injuries come out? This is the 11th straight game this season in which the Vikings have held a seven-point lead. You know, like I actually saw some people tweeting, who's going to be on the MVP merry-go-round for this week? And Kirk Cousins' name came up. And then at some point, you see the offense just completely just pull this same Jekyll and Hyde thing that they do every single week where it's just inconsistent. And obviously the 49ers, they, they had the ability to match up against the defensive line and run the ball, but it just felt like the Vikings offense, if they just had anybody other than Mike Zimmer, I, th- I think this would be a team that has a real shot to do something. Like if you look at the end of the half, the 49ers, Ugh. first it's, it's first and 20. And they're pretty much out of field goal range. And somehow they ended up scoring a touchdown and then it's third and 11, like right before the touchdown. And the Vikings have all three timeouts and they don't use any of the timeouts to save themselves some, some time to score in the next possession. And of course, the Vikings come back, they get a good kick return, and then they run out of time. So it's just, there's a, a total lack of aggression. I think they did have some bad luck. They had some bad luck with the, the Dalvin Cook fumble after the 49ers went up seven. But they still made it a game. So I think this offense is just, the offense is good enough to do some things and cause some damage and, and even win a playoff game, but it, it's just for whatever reason the defense they they can't they can't sustain leads and not aggressive when they need to be offensive. Yeah, it's time for Mike Zimmer to go. So you talked about right before the half, final two minutes of the half so far this season in eleven games, the Vikings have allowed sixty six points in the final two minutes of the half. Eleven games. 66 points. Let me do the math for you. That's six points every single game of the season in two minutes. That's three points a minute. The defense is allowing for the entire season right before halftime. And it's 6.0 per game is the highest average this century. But guess what? Third highest this century, last year's Vikings, 4.38 points allowed in the final two minutes before the half. This team is supposed to be built around its defense. That's Mike Zimmer. That's his thing. That's the identity of the team. I know you're missing the D line, but you have to, you have to roll with it. Like everyone's missing somebody on their team. You got to figure out how to get this done. So like you said, Vikings go up 14 to seven, they kick it off. So here's what happens from there at 14 to seven. Like you said, Kirk cousins, maybe MVP, like Vikings we're in this, right? You're feeling pretty good. Are you, are you feeling decent about our Vikings bet at 14, seven? I'm feeling great about it. Yeah. So here's what happens from there. 15 play, 85 yard touchdown drive, eight minutes and 20 seconds, basically into halftime, like you said, because they didn't call the timeouts. Niners get the ball out of the half, 75 yard touchdown drive. The very next play, Kirk Cousins throws it straight to a linebacker, like not even just, I don't know what he's doing, just a terrible interception. And the very next play, touchdown. So three Vikings plays run goes from 14 to seven to 14 to 28. And then from there, we get the Dalvin Cook fumble that you mentioned. Somehow the Vikings kind of hang in because they get a kickoff touchdown. They have one good touchdown drive, but there's a span before the end of the game. The Vikings had two long drives where they turn it over near scoring between the 14, seven. And then the Niners ran 37 out of the 46 plays. They had 20 minutes of possession to under six minutes for the Vikings. 
The Vikings had drives of two plays, one, five, zero, and one. And the Niners just kept ripping off these like 10, 12 play, you know, drives. And like no defense is going to hold up against that. Even if you are kind of good, it's not going to work when you're just literally on the field the entire game. Even that kickoff return touchdown, as nice as it was, you don't want to turn that away. But it's like, ah, balls. We got to put the defense right back out on the field. And they just been out there for the last like hour of real time. So I think I think the big stat of this game, Vikings two for eight on third down. Yeah. And I think that says it all. And t- to me, I think that the, mo- the most frustrating thing about this game is that the 49ers, they don't have a ton of perimeter threats to where like, you just have to be able to guard the minute, middle of the field. And whatever reason, the Minnesota Vikings couldn't do that. So, yeah, this is one of those games, too, where Kirk Cousins just quietly murders your chances, even though you don't even really see it in the stats. Like the one interception you see, that basically ended the game because it immediately led to a touchdown and just buried them. Two of eight and third down, one of three and fourth downs. That's Kirk. He missed wide open Justin Jefferson, an easy throw on a two point conversion. That was huge because it would have been a six point game. They could have got some field goals late. And didn't manage the clock well, missing guys, especially down the stretch. We saw the play. I'm sure you saw the, the, the replay. Fourth down and goal on the two-yard line. Kirk lines up under the right guard instead of a center. That's how much this guy can't show up in the big moments. It's, you don't see it in the box score, but Kirk just can't come through. Like the numbers overall, the EPAs and the Vorps and Schwarps, they're all great until it actually matters. And then Kirk is still Kirk. Credit to, we got to give a little credit to the Niners. Their offense is rolling. Trent Williams back, George Kittle back. This is what the offense was supposed to be. So I do think the Niners are a team to watch out for a little bit. Although Jimmy Garoppolo had a nice game. Garoppolo kind of, I think, is just the same thing I just said about Kirk Cousins. So when it comes time for him to make the big play, I'm not sure I really am that much more confident in the Niners still. Yeah, I I think that the Niners are capable of making some noise in the playoff picture. I mean, it's six six and five wins in four of their last five. But I think the, the problem they're going to have going forward is the 49ers, they've already, they've already lost guys on the defense. This is not a, a defense that we saw from 49ers a couple of years ago. So losing Fred Warner is big. And then Devo Samuel is probably one of their best weapons. So we all know Kyle Shanahan can scheme guys open, but at some point you got to have the, the guys. And Devo is one of their guys. So we'll yep. see what happens with go, them going forward. But it's just the way the NFC is, anybody can sneak into the playoffs at this point. Yeah, for sure. All right, last one is our stink of the week. Smell it, smell it, smell it. It's the smell. It's quite pungent. Dude, plug your nose. It stinks. This is your stink of the week. And what could that be really other than this awful, awful Baltimore Ravens, Cleveland Browns Sunday night football game? We're giving the stink to the entire game. But especially, may I point out, right before halftime, here's the stretch that we got in the second quarter heading into halftime. We had five turnovers in six drives. We had five turnovers in 17 plays. And that included a seven-play field goal drive in the middle, which, by the way, the field goal hit the upright but bounced in somehow. Uh, But five turnovers in two minutes and 44 seconds of gameplay. Lamar Jackson threw four interceptions this game, and he earned them. like. There should have been more turnovers in this game. They were, were dropping interceptions out there because it's like, nah, man, I just had one. I, I had one a few minutes ago. You, you take this one back. I'll get it next time. Like, it's crazy. The Ravens win anyways because the Browns didn't show up 16 to 10. This is, uh, they showed at the stat at the end of the game. Teams with four interceptions or more, 0-52 since 2015. Never mind the Browns. They're going to come through with the loss for you and get the Ravens the win. So, yeah, that's our stink of the week. Do you have any takeaways from this game? I think the biggest takeaway is that the Ravens' offense is a complete mess. When you look at the last two games in which Lamar Jackson's played, they've only had two offensive touchdowns. So I was talking about Lamar Jackson for MVP, but it just feels like every single time we annoy somebody an MVP candidate, it's like the it's, it's almost like the Madden curse at this point. And I don't know what's going on with this offense. The the run game's not where it was last year. I think the big takeaway, though, is Baker Mayfield. Like, somebody mm-hmm. needed to sit him down. They, the, the Browns have a bye next week. At this point, it's just ego. And I, I think 
Case Keenum probably would have won this game. And I mean, Baker Mayfield, it just, he's a warrior. I got to give him credit, but you can't have him out there at, at this level. So it's just like, I felt like this was a winnable game for the Browns. One of the reasons why I took the, the Ravens is because I just felt like Baker would probably give this game away and he didn't necessarily give it away, but it's just, he's not, he's not up to par health wise. So, and I think the Ravens were just able to do just enough to get the cover and win. So. Yeah. It's, it's a really dismaying loss if you're a Browns fan or a Browns backer. So to me, even though the Ravens offense wasn't good, they were, they did play with the identity that we know they want to be. This is Ravens football. This is all they want to win. They'd rather, you know, do it a little more comfortably, but they don't want to just smash mouth football, run it down your throat, play some defense, stuff the run, and win one of these ugly Trent Dilfer sort of low scoring games, you know, right? Like this was Trent Dilfer's game, not Lamar Jackson's game here, but that's, that's what the Ravens are. The problem is that's what the Browns think they are. And the Browns clearly are not that right now. They ran 17 times for 40 yards. This is supposed to be a running team. It's supposed to be the best running team in football. It's not going to cut it. And the Ravens had 20 more plays. They ran 43 times, not 17 times, because that's how you get your identity. They had 14 more minutes of the ball. This is a game where, in, in a tough division game, a rivalry game, you got to know who you are. And the Ravens look like the team that knew what they were. And the Browns look like a team that just, even against the team that knew what it was and still wasn't very good at it, the Browns just couldn't do anything about it. Like the one scoring drive they had is where they remembered, oh, right, let's pass a little bit. That's where Baltimore can get beat. And then they just went right back to not running successfully again. So it's a weird spot. So the Browns, I don't know if I've ever seen this before. The Browns are on a bye week and then their very next game is against the Ravens again. We talked about this before. It's very weird. I've never seen a team that literally played two games in a row against the same opponent. Like they go from November 21st to December 19th with no teams except the Ravens on their schedule. So that's real weird. Baltimore has to go to Pittsburgh next week while Cleveland is sitting at home resting and then hosting the next game. So it'll be really interesting. Like that probably shapes up as a pretty must win game for Cleveland once they get it again. But that, do you remember ever seeing that before where we got a team play twice in a row against the same opponent? Yeah, I've never seen it. I've, I've, I've definitely seen where you've had, I think you might have one opponent one week and then you play him again in two weeks, but I, I've never seen this. This this really odd scheduling court. Yeah, by the way, dishonorable stink of the week mention goes to me. One in 14 on picks in the action app today. But the good news is I'm still alive for the NFC wildcard. I'm right in the mix, guys. I'm right there. I'm, I'm still ahead of the Lions. So I'm going to hang in there. You know, uh, what, what can you do but shake it off and get back in the action tomorrow? So uh, let's, let's hit the rest of Sunday's action and wrap up week 12. The Giants escaped with an ugly 13-7 upset win over the Eagles. Last year's first rounder, Jalen Rager, dropped two touchdowns in the final minute. Or otherwise, the Eagles could have pulled this one out. Really had every chance to win the game, but they had four turnovers to none. They got a nightmare game from Jalen Hurts, three interceptions from him. So Giants get the cover and the plus 165 win and way under. They probably could still be playing. They'd still be under that one. They're just not scoring either team in that one. The Bengals did to the Steelers what Pittsburgh has done to them for decades. Demolished Pittsburgh, 41-10, dominant run game, great defensive performance. They just turned turn things around from what Pittsburgh normally does here. Big Ben got annihilated this game. Just under pressure all game. Two interceptions, three sacks, minus 15.6 EPA. That was a bad one. Teddy Bridgewater left hurt but came back and led the Broncos to an upset victory at home, 28-13 over the Chargers. Justin Herbert, miserable day for him. Two interceptions, one in the end zone, another one that was a pick six. Broncos unders, 9-1-1 one, one on the season now, including 6-0 and oh in Denver wins. So keep an eye on that one. More bad quarterbacks. Cam Newton was horrendous for the Panthers today. Two interceptions, 5 of 21 throwing, and then he got benched. Uh, Dolphins win 33-10, their fourth straight win. They got the Giants and the Jets next. The Dolphins were 1-7, and, and they have a real shot to get to 7-7. Seven and seven. They'd probably be a playoff team if they're in the NFC. 
last and definitely least, a terrible AFC South team was barely competitive against another very bad team and a totally forgettable 21-14 loss as they fall to 2-9 on the season and improve their draft position. That is your summary for both the Texans and the Jaguars. Two completely useless games with the exact same score and the exact same record, both of them losing to the Jets and the Falcons, respectively. All right, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor and get to Monday Night Football. The Action Network podcast is proudly presented by BetMGM. And to celebrate the 2021 NFL season, BetMGM is offering a great sign-up offer for our listeners, a $1,000 risk-free first bet. You just open an account at BetMGM and make your first deposit. Then make your first bet. If that bet wins, the money is yours. And if your bet doesn't win, BetMGM will refund you in free bets up to $1,000. It's that simple. To get started, just click on the link in this episode description. BetMGM has been a great podcast partner, and they've got all the best features for NFL betting, like live betting and daily odds boosts. Plus, BetMGM is compatible with our BetSync technology, so when you place a wager at BetMGM, that bet can automatically be tracked in your action app. So open an account today and make your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Michigan, New Jersey, Colorado, Indiana, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, Tennessee, Nevada, or Pennsylvania. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Or 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia. BetSync not available in Nevada. Thanks so much for listening. Let's get back to the show. All right, Monday night, we've got a pick'em in Washington. Seattle at Washington. The total is at 46 and a half. Somehow these teams are right on the cusp of the NFC playoff race. If Washington wins, they tie for the seven seed. If Seattle wins, they move from the last team off the playoff picture graphic to one of the 14 teams in the playoff picture. Oh, boy, we got a doozy here. What do you think, Seattle or Washington? Well, this line, first things first, I think this line opened up at minus two and a half. You were looking at that. Obviously, you had some sharp money hit Washington. But at this current number, I don't know if I want to be taking Washington. Washington really doesn't have a home field advantage at all. When you look at Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson, they do pretty well off a of loss. They're 27 and 15 and four, 64% win percentage. So if you're playing the trends, I think that's a good trend to play. But I just, I don't want to play Seattle right now. The way Russell Wilson is playing right now, we don't know what's going on with his hand. His hand has been like a huge problem. When you look at, he, had, he just has one touchdown in his last 19 possessions since he's come back from injury. The defense is really struggling. They gave up a 413 total yards to an Arizona Cardinals team without Kyler Murray, without DeAndre Hopkins, with Colt McCoy starting. So how can you back Seattle on the roll in this spot? I think, I think for me it's Washington or pass, but I think you're getting the worst of it if you take it here. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's, it's hard to get excited about this game. These teams both feel like they're just kind of fighting to stay on the very, very tail fringe of the playoff hunt. It's just not going great. And I know that this sounds absolutely crazy. And I've been a huge Russell Wilson backer for many years. Are we positive that Seattle has the better quarterback right now in this matchup? Like Taylor Heineke has played pretty well the last few weeks and Wilson does not look right. Like his hand is not good. They scored zero and 13 points the last two games since he came back from the injury. Uh, they've had 17 points our last five times already this season. So the Seattle games have gone under in six straight. So I don't know. We're going to get a lot of points here And Seattle. Just not playing that well. Heineke is number one in completion percentage over expectation. The last five games, Washington EPA per pass is top seven. So they're actually moving the ball. Both pass defenses are pretty bad in this game. Seattle's is banged up. Now Washington's been bad all season. So you want the quarterback that you trust. And that should be Russell Wilson. I just don't know how you can trust Russ right now, the way that he's been looking. 
I don't know. It, am I absolutely crazy to think that I might trust Tyler Heineke a little bit more than Russell Wilson? <laughs> I, I agree with you. Like over the last two weeks, Russell Wilson is 43rd among all quarterbacks in EPA and completion over expectation. <laughs> He's also 43rd in success rate. He has just a 36% success rate, 54% completion percentage. He's just not being able to deliver the throws with his hand. Now, maybe another week might help that. Maybe if they could run the ball, that, that'll be something that can help Russell Wilson out a bit. I don't know how you trust Russell Wilson on the road in this situation. I do think they're going to be able to find some success running the ball on this Washington defense. They are just 16th in EPA for play, and they are missing some guys up front. So, yeah. Yeah, one one key matchup that I want to keep my eye on, and this is this is like the opposite of the immovable force. So, you know, like I forget how that whole thing goes. But this is the opposite of that. Seattle's offense ranks dead last in third down over expectation. So compared to what you would expect, Seattle is minus seven percent. Uh, they're worst in the NFL, but Washington's defense ranks dead last on third down as well, and they are dead laster than Seattle. Washington's defense is plus 12% third down over expectation. Like this team cannot get off the field. And we've seen that in these recent weeks where Washington is hanging around and then can't close the job on late downs. So third and fourth downs, Washington defense is EPA 0.49 per play. That is a terrible, terrible number. Like that would put you by far worse defense in the NFL. You can't be that bad. But if the Seahawks are that bad, like something has to give. We can't just keep repeating third downs forever. Either Russell Wilson makes the plays, and normally that's where Russ is awesome is on third downs. But this includes even the early games when he was great. So I think watch those Seattle offensive third downs and see what gives there. Can Russell Wilson come up with a play? You know, we we know he loves to kind of scramble around and come up with something, but I, I don't know if he can do it anymore the way things are going. Uh, I had a couple of props that I want to do on this game. Do you have any pick on this game or are you mostly sitting this one out? Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting this one out. I, I just think there's too much uncertainty with Seattle. And I think I would have taken Washington about a week ago with the plus two and a half, but obviously the numbers move. And we all know when it comes to the NFL, you're not going to beat this market long-term yeah. if you're playing the worst of it by two and a half points. So, Yeah, I would lean Washington if you've got to make a pick for a contest, but I'm not really interested in playing either side, not really interested in the total. Here's what I did come up with. I dug around for like an hour today trying to come up with something for our dear listeners and watchers. We need a pick. Here's my two angles. Angle number one, Seattle's offense for the season is number one in DVOA in the second quarter. Washington's defense for the season is number 30 in the second quarter. So I'm going to take the Seattle money line second quarter only plus 110 and hope that Russell Wilson can at least be healthy enough until halftime to get me a few points. So just the second quarter, Seattle money line. Here's my other one. Terry McLaurin, I think could have a really big game in this game. Seattle's pass defense, very beatable. Their cornerbacks are banged up. So I'm going to do Terry McLaurin, 100 yards and a touchdown plus 630. He's done that four times already this year. He's had four games out of 10 with 100 and a touchdown. Last year, he had 12 targets, seven catches, 77 yards against Washington. When he has a good game, he has a really good game. Like when him and Heineke get synced up well, he tends to really put up some numbers. So at plus 630, you know, the four times already this year, that would imply like a plus 150. So the number is pretty far off. Seattle's beatable. If you want an angle on this game, I think those are my two best angles for you. What do you think of either of those? Oh, yeah, I like those. I, I definitely like those. I, I, I like the Terry McClure one just because we all know Seattle's defense is struggling. So. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully you find some angle to play there. We don't even get Peyton and Eli for this game. So it's a, it's a rough Monday night. Let's get to our week 13 hot read and get you guys out of here. Hot rock. Blue 17. Nice right. Ice cream. Jose. You guys know the drill. We're making our picks, looking ahead to get ahead of the lines. And Raheem and I are both on the same side on our first pick, I think, on this one. So give me your hot read on a game that we've already alluded to a little bit earlier. I'm going with the New England Patriots. Look, this New England Patriots team, they're rolling right now. And I think the big problem with this Buffalo Bills team is, look, they already lost Chadarius White. So that's big. That, that's the top cover corner. but 
right now, Josh Allen is just turning the ball over at will. The last thing you want to do against this Patriots defense is turn the ball over. And we all know Bill Belichick, he can craft a game plan better than pretty much anybody. I think the Patriots are probably the best team in this division right now. The Buffalo Bills, they don't have a, a great run game. Like when you look at their, their ability to run the ball, they're, they're towards the bottom of the league. And the Patriots, that's where the Patriots struggle. So the Patriots, their pass de- defense is one of the best in the league. When you look at this Bills team, like who have they beat? Like we've spoken about this before. If it's not the Jets, if it's not the, the Saints, if it's not the, the Houston Texans or the Washington football team or Miami, they struggle. To take the Patriots plus three, I imagine this line's going to go down. So it probably won't be there long. Yeah, I agree. I'm still seeing even a couple plus three and a half, depending on if you want to get the juice on that. But I definitely want to get it before it drops below a field goal. This is my hot read too. And normally if there's one we like, I just kind of chime in on it. But I'm not chiming in. I'm making it my own hot read too. So Patriots, give me that underdogs on the road. I'm going to take the money line too. I already put both of them into the Action Network app. Belichick as an underdog, 29-14-2 and two against the spread. So 67% cover. He's won more than half of the games outright, 37% ROI. Obviously, a lot of those with Brady, but hey, they figured out their formula. They know what they're doing. More and more today in the NFL, we're getting these super-duper pass-heavy teams that are just like, eh, who needs to run? We won't run anymore. And we've seen the Patriots this year against the Chiefs. We saw them against the Bucks. The Bills' offense is a lot like those. They just want to throw, throw, throw all game. And the Patriots' defense is built against that. The, the secondary has been elite. You know, J.C. Jackson has been awesome. You're getting a lot of pass rush. The way you beat New England is run the ball. And Buffalo can't run the ball, like you said. So this shapes up to me defensively like the same thing we've seen. You know, you talked about it earlier. Isn't this the same formula that we've been watching? Tennessee hurt New England today when they actually ran the ball on them. They just couldn't hold on to the ball long enough to keep doing it. But when the Patriots have played these other pass-heavy teams, and the Bills are the pass-heaviest team in the NFL, it's not going well for them. So, yeah, Belichick owns the Bills, 62% against the spread uh, with the Patriots' lifetime. So I I love them in the spot. We know short road dogs have been great. Monday Night Football, it's a really good game, really big game. So we'll want to be watching that one. And, yeah, I guess you and I will be back talking more about this one next Sunday. but. I'm guessing that we will both be very much in on New England. Don't wait around, though, because I don't think you're going to get that plus three by the time that we get to Sunday. Yeah, that, that, that plus three won't be there at all. Probably you're going to see a lot of sharp money on New, New England Patriots this week. Jump on New England now because that line will not be there. All right, so we are both on New England with our first hot read each. What is your second week 13 hot read? My second hot read is the Cincinnati Bengals, L.A. Chargers, over 50 and a half. This has already take some, taken some money. But my model makes this closer to about 54. I think you're going to see a shootout here. You got two young quarterbacks who are just lighting it up this season. And, look, I, I know the Bengals, their defensive statistics say one thing. They put them in the top 10 and, and the success rate. But this Chargers defense is, is not really good right now. They're just 29th. A success rate. They're 24th in EPA for play. You're going to see a shootout here because I think if either one of these teams goes down seven, 10 points, I think they're going to light it up. I don't see the Chargers struggling to score in the ways that they did against the Broncos today. As you mentioned earlier, the Broncos are a classic under team. This is going to be a shootout. I like this one. Yeah, it's a fun game, too. I was looking at the Chargers laying the points here, possibly taking them as a hot read. I feel like the Chargers still strike me as the better overall team. I'm not going to take too much away from the Bengals blowing out the Steelers because we haven't really thought so highly of the Steelers all season long anyway. And, you know, we've seen the Chargers a couple times now kind of let go of the rope. That helps the over, too. If they if the Chargers fall behind and they just start, like, throwing it around, trying all these fourth downs, leaving short fields for Cincinnati. That's a good way to hit the over too. So I like that one. Uh, My other hot read, I wanted to take the Eagles here. I do still like the Eagles, but I think by the time that folks listen to this, the six and a half at the Jets is probably going to be gone. It's mostly gone already, but I do like that a lot. The Eagles 
didn't really scare me off too much today. They're still running the ball well. The Jets still don't play any defense. If you see the six and a half, I still like it. If not, I'll go with the Arizona Cardinals as a touchdown favorite in Chicago. I just think that it's time to give a little respect to the Cardinals. They're coming out of the bye week. I have to believe at this point, after a month away, that we're finally going to get Kyler Murray back. We're finally going to get DeAndre Hopkins back. And I like that they've had this whole month off. You know, last year, we saw the Cardinals melt down in the second half of the season because Kyler got hurt, came back too fast, and was never healthy again. So I know that we're a little nervous about Kyler returning from injury. I think the whole point of this month off is for us not to have to be nervous. I think they wanted him to really, truly get healthy. And I think we should expect that he will be, as opposed to Justin Fields, probably back for this one, I assume, but like wearing a flak jacket with those ribs or Andy Dalton. We got the Bears coaching drama, whatever happened with that. You know, like they probably fire Matt Nagy if they lose on Thanksgiving, which they should have until the very last play. So I like the Cardinals here coming off a bye week, minus seven. This is going to be a public spot, I'm sure. The money's going to come on Arizona, but I like them at a touchdown, so I'm going to grab them before the line goes up. I don't mind, too, if you can, if you like the Eagles and Cardinals both, you could tease that and basically get those down to kind of a pick them there. What do you think of the Eagles or Cardinals? I, I, I'm not mad at the Cardinals. I just think, for me, there's a ton of uncertainty around the Cardinals, but I think this is more of a fade of the Bears, which I can, sure. I can never argue with the fade of the Bears, but there's a lot of uncertainty for me around this Cardinals team to be laying seven on the road. When it comes to the Jets, the, the Jets are a complete mess, so I have no problem fading them here. The Eagles have been a juggernaut. Jets defense is really problematic, especially when you have a defensive court, a guy who's a defensive coordinator coming in. The, the, the talent just isn't there. I think the Eagles will be a lot more focused next week, so yeah. I have no problem laying a seven. In. How do you feel about the teaser on that one? You basically get them both down to like two – Two teams that just have to go out and win on the road by more than a point. Is that a spot where you might tease, or is that not the right number for you? I actually think it's the right number, but I try not to tease road teams. But if you're going to tease anybody, the Eagles should win this game, and so should the Cardinals. So I'm not mad at teasing those at all. Yeah, well, and this this was the one weakness in that the home team has finally struck back. So we'll see. You know, we are hitting some of these wintry sort of games. Maybe this is where the home field comes back into play. We shall see next week. That is going to wrap it up today for the Action Network podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and rate and review. If you haven't yet, make sure to get the app as well. Stucky and Raybon back Wednesday night with their six-pack NFL betting guide. Raheem and I are back this Friday for our usual run through the slate. We'll preview a few big games. We'll hit the look ahead. For Raheem Palmer, I'm Brandon Anderson, and this has been the Action Network Podcast. We are on to week 13. Week 13.